I, how are you guys doing? Tired, thank you, thank you. I was a little concerned, because I was here very early, and all I had was the band. And seriously, if it's me and the band, we're in trouble. I, I'm just letting you know, I don't sing, they sing. It's a bad deal here. But you know what, I've been walking around, kind of chatting with at least a few of you. I know some of you. I cannot believe you're wearing that shirt. National Sarcastic Society. I've never, how many are part of that? And anyone else part of that National Sarcastic Society? Raise, hey, guys, raise your hand. Raise some eyes. Unbelievable. Okay, is anyone like part of the National Positive Encouraging Society? Can I see that one? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you know, let me uh, let, let me start off here. Just uh, a few quick questions, and this will help me tremendously know what I'm going to talk about. And you say, "Are you serious? I'm here, and you really don't know what you're going." I kind of know what I'm going to talk about. All right. But what I, what I would like to do is this. First of all, how many of you were on camp property during one or more of the 11 days of joy and bliss of cleanup? How, can I see your hands? I'm raising my pie. I, I just want to. Okay, thank you. Now, how many of you have been here more than one week this summer? Can you raise your hands for me? Just more than one week this summer. Okay, thank you. And if you didn't raise your hand because you're a bitter individual right now and do not want to cooperate, don't raise your hand right now. Are we good? Wouldn't you know, I, I knew some people would raise their hands. You realize that? Oh, I love it. Hey, my name is Rick. And um, my brother is Dave. All right? And I have the privilege to come out every once in a while to camp. I'm not here as much as I used to be here. But one of the things I get to do is be able to literally, for the most part, walk around, encourage people, help them, well, just kind of cope with reality, and pray for you a lot. Pray for you a whole lot. And that's one of the privileges I have. And you may say, Rick, that's really important, or Rick, that's kind of lame. I'm letting you know, that's kind of a lame ministry. And it probably is in some ways pretty lame. But I want you to know this, is that as God gives you certain seasons in life, certain things that happen in life, and no trip, one of the things that happen is that God puts you in certain places at certain seasons in order to make a difference and an impact. Now, my guess is this. You guys are all pretty tired. I'm just thinking. Okay, 
And maybe at 9.45 today, you might be thinking, wow, I can't wait to go to Staff Chapel. Yeah, you laughing. But I, I think there's at least one person here that kind of thought that. The rest of you, if we're honest, Babs, I haven't seen you for a while. Okay. Um, Can I interrupt you for a sec? There's oh, sure. smoke coming out of the back of a truck out there in the front. There's what? Back of a truck that is. Okay, we got it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There is a truck. Okay. Getting back to my perfect introduction. I really probably think after the end of the summer, no matter if you've been here for one week or ten weeks or all year as a student, this is the hardest of all the ministry times. It is. And no matter what anybody tells you, as you serve our God here at Silver Birch Ranch, it's 24-7. Now, yeah, maybe you get a little bit of time off here and a little bit of time off there. But, but the truth is, this is really a hard ministry. And this is a ministry that, that taxes you and it pushes you. And you always can use more sleep. And you always can use, and you fill it in. Some of you are dragging. Some of you are less than enthusiastic. And some still have a fire burning in your heart. But today, today, what I'm hoping to do, literally, is just pump your tires. I I just really want to encourage you in some way to be able to um, hear from me. An old-timer, one that's been here every one of these summers, at different stages, at different places, at different roles. I want you to hear from me. Thank you. Thank you for your love for God, your love to be able to serve a God. For you, some of you have have walked through extremely difficult things. But I just want to name this, if it hasn't been named, SBR Summer of Miracles. Miracles from the very beginning, even though you didn't really notice. You didn't notice when camp or or busloads of kids came. And you were doing horses, and you were doing waterfront, and you were washing dishes, and all those other different things. Whatever you were doing. And kids went to chapel, and kids sang, and and counselors were working. And some kids loved Jesus more when they left, and hopefully many made decisions. And we kind of assumed that. And then the next week would come. And then you'd get a new challenge or a new responsibility or a new position. And then what would happen is that there would be some normal but miraculous things. Things that we forgot. Things that don't normally happen. You see, again, as a pastor, I live, well, in two worlds, really. 
a ministry world and a real world. And, and sometimes they combine. But realistically, what happens, it really does, is, is we forget all that God does. Now, if you even go back a whole long time ago, you know, one of the things that Moses reminded people over and over, and especially Joshua, hey, don't forget to make memorials. Don't forget to look at those things that were really, really cool. We're going to do a Passover. And it's going to remind you every year of one of the most amazing miracles that happened. We just walked through the Red Sea. I just want you to know nobody normally does that. Okay? I want you to keep remembering those things. Keep telling your kids so your kids can tell their kids and their kids can tell. We have an awesome God, an amazing God, a wonderful God. Well, why did Moses and why did so many leaders keep saying, why don't we make memorials? Why don't we keep... Because we, we, including me, not just because I'm old, we forget. We forget. So here this is, what, 52nd year, 53rd? I don't even know what year. 52? 52. Here we go. We're, we're going through. God's doing some amazing things. There's some amazing people here. God's working. And then one night, are you serious? Let's do the drill. And I got to tell you, when I was in charge of some things, we kind of made fun of the drill. I, I'm just letting you know, you know, like where to go, how to do this, and, and make sure the kids are safe. Like, really? That night, the storm comes. Kids are all safe. People here walk out, and they've never seen anything like this. This is a war zone. <laughs> What's going to happen? Kids are sent home. For the first time ever. And the leadership and everyone here walks around camp or tries to. And say, what is going to happen? Probably not even one person thought this place would be open again. At least this season. Probably not. And then those 10 or 11 days, however you want to call it, or even 12. Things started to happen. Prayer started to happen. People started to move. Equipment started to come in. Loggers, miraculously, this whole area is wiped out. How did we get the tools, the people, the scenarios, the situation? There wasn't power. There was hardly food, kind of, or, or at least hard to prepare food. Yeah, you can get a lot of peanut butter and jelly, I'm assuming, you know. But you look at all that happen, and there'd be updates, and there'd be funds coming in, and help coming in, and, and God's people came together in an unbelievable way. You still, if you've been here at any amount of time, you walk through and you go, wow, this is so, so different. But you who have been here, they're long days. They're sacrificial days. And I think God honored himself by what you guys have done and are doing right now. You know, in Psalm 23, it's a, it's a familiar psalm. But in verse 3 of Psalm 23, there's, there's one line. And it says this. You 
God, you honor me by choosing right paths. That verse hit me last night as I was just kind of thinking about today. Anyone who is here during that time, plus anyone who's come up after, you could have chosen a different route. I guarantee it. You could have a much easier route. But I think you chose to stay here. You chose to be part of the miracle. And I believe you You know, last Tuesday when the buses came out, there was a cry heard all over America. Seriously. You didn't hear it. But I think it was there. And then, and then kids started coming in. And, and then leaders started working with them in prayer and worship and teaching. And kids' lives were changed again. And they went home. And then the last camp, at least normal camp, is here. And again, scrambling, trying to figure this out. How are we going to do this? And, and you guys are doing it. Part of it. Part of this miracle. And then last night, as some of you have heard, and maybe all of you have heard, I don't know, but again, over a hundred kids are talking about their life. Some of them probably got saved. Some of them just so messed up in their understanding of who God is and how much God loves them. And they're reoriented. They, they have an opportunity to start again. And none, none of this stuff would have happened. You know, i got to be honest. Uh, I was in Tennessee when this happened. And I finally talked to my brother on the Saturday afterwards. And to be honest, I wasn't personally just that concerned about the buildings or the trees or all that, that kind of stuff. But when he told me, he goes, you know, we have to send the kids home, I just start weeping. Because this place is not about buildings or trees. It's going to take an unbelievable amount of work still. I get it. But I've been here 52 years watching God do miracle after miracle in people's lives. And so then I started questioning. God, I know you're big. You could have easily shoved it 10, 10 miles over in the woods. No one could have got hurt. You could have moved it one mile over. But here we sit, and God's people came together. You know, I thought of a passage, and I just asked God, what is it that you want me to share today? 
that will encourage and pump and help put perspective again. Your word is so big and your word is so amazing. What is it that these guys need to hear? And one thought came to my mind. It was about the disciples. And it was in John chapter 21. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, your flat screens, to John 21. I'd like you to kind of picture what the disciples are feeling like. Because I kind of think they're feeling exactly like the staff, volunteer, full-time, whatever, right now, here at camp. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open this up and, and see. Father, I just thank you again for this group. I thank you for the miracles. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. And pray that the Holy Spirit would be unbelievably active right now, Father. Not only in all of the Bible hours that are going on, but every place and every nook and every cranny in this place. The enemy tried to stop your work and failed. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine. Some of you know the background of John 21, but, but just imagine with me that you were one of the 12, or at least this time, 11. All right? But you're part of this small little gang that had lived with Jesus for three years. Let me say it again. You've hung out with God. You've hung out with Jesus. You saw Jesus do things no one has ever done. You heard teaching from Jesus like no one has ever taught. It was wonderful. It was scary. It was crazy. It was hard. But did I say it was wonderful? How cool would that have been? But you know, in spite of how cool that was, and every one of us probably would, would, would die to do that. We, we will. I mean, ultimately, if you know anything about Jesus, that, that would be the ultimate privilege. But in spite of that, in spite of that unbelievable experience, the disciples really were not in a really good spot. And it would just be moments, literally in time, where they were going to take over the kingdom, shall we say, advancement. They were going to be the ones that represent Jesus. They were going to be the ones that plant churches. They were going to... They weren't in necessarily a good spot. All the time that they were with Jesus, John, of course, we're looking at, was one of the disciples. 
he wrote this gospel a whole lot later than the other guys that wrote the gospels. He had an unbelievable perspective and his goal was, again, to communicate to us how Jesus' life and death and resurrection absolutely affected the world. If you were John, you probably, in my opinion, would leave this chapter out. I just do. Because it doesn't, again, make the disciples look really good, especially Peter. But not only did they live with Jesus, they saw Jesus die. And this isn't an Easter message or a Good Friday message, but, but every one of you have been to those. Every one of you, every time you have communion, you think of the death and the burial and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. I get it. But they saw their friend, their king, mutilated and hung on a cross. All their hopes, and again, they didn't understand completely about the kingdom. They thought this was the king. Where's, why isn't he bringing you know, all of his power and authority right now? Why isn't he taking care of the Romans? What's the big deal? So they're a little disappointed. It wasn't that Jesus didn't teach them correctly. But they're bummed. The Bible tells us that Jesus had met with these disciples at least two times. This is the third event, and you'll see that later on in chapter 21. But what happens is, at least two times, they have talked with the resurrected Jesus. Apparently, he still had some holes, because Thomas was the one that wanted to stick his finger in them, right? So here he is, completely healthy. I'm not exactly sure all that he looked like, but, but he didn't look as bad as he did on the cross. And they're talking back and forth. Again, we can put, would we be excited? Would we be, like, okay, now I'm starting to get this a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But the disciples had mixed feelings. And let me just put it this way. In spite of spending three years with Jesus, in spite of that, they had spent a lot more years without Jesus. That life was familiar to them, right? The fishing, the pace, where they lived, how they hung out. That was a lot more familiar to them than hanging out with this crazy rabbi for the last three years. Not even knowing where they would sleep, how they would sustain themselves. So this was rather new still. They were drawn to their former lives. They're, they were comfortable. They were familiar. They were normal. And for at least seven of the 11 left, they were fishermen. Now, if you remember way back when Jesus called them, and again, you guys know the story. If any of you are sleeping, I'm okay with that. But I still think this is important enough. So if you want to stand up, you want to walk around, you want to stand in the back so you can keep hearing, I'm good with that. All right? So here's what I'm trying to say. Is that as these guys in, in even had the greatest of all experiences, 
the greatest of all, they still were drawn back to what they were used to. So seven of them wanted to go back and fish. So I'm going to start reading chapter 21, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 3. Just three verses. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. They, they didn't even rank. Just letting you know. Yeah, two. Simon said, hey, I want to go fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. All right. It doesn't say that fishing is evil. It doesn't say that um, there wasn't anything better to do. I get that. But they chose to go back to what was comfortable and familiar. I got to believe that during the night, again, that's when they fished, they talked. It wasn't like sometimes, you know, you fish with a pole and, and you got to be quiet so the fish don't get, I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, can you tell? But this is the old throw the net in the, in the sea. Uh, I'm assuming fish are around, they scoop them up and it's no big deal. Sometimes they get great catches, sometimes they don't. So they're talking, they're reminiscing. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? What are you guys going to do? You think this Jesus thing? I don't know what was going on. But my guess is they really were talking about their future at that moment. But all night they fish. All night they throw. All night they pull in. And all night they find out there are no fish. Look at verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And again, we, we knock these disciples every once in a while. But, but folks, again, this was something that was familiar with that. Jesus had already done a miracle like this. They couldn't believe it when it happened the first time. But here they are. They fish all night. They don't know some dude. They're coming in, ready to call it a day. He says, they throw out your nets. They throw out their nets and they get an unbelievable catch. For us who aren't fishermen, no big deal. For fishermen, it is a big deal. Here's some things. First of all, Jesus wasn't done with them. He hadn't ascended to the Father yet, and he went after his boys. He knew his boys were not getting it. He understood his boys were not understanding what their future ought to look like. And the way I want to say it is this. I think Christ's actions shouted. They didn't whisper, they shouted. The first thing it shouted was this, life with Jesus brings fruit. It brings abundance. And also the opposite is true. Apart from Jesus brings fruitlessness. 
Living life apart from Jesus will not give you abundance. And I'm going to bring that back in a second. But a second thing that jumped out to me, if you read a little further, and I'm not going to read at this moment, but verse 13, it says that Jesus served them. Do you realize, again, this is the Son of God, and however he wants to do it, he can think it, boom! The fire's going. Nice table set up. Everything is all ready for their breakfast. And he chooses, no, I'm going to show these guys again how kingdom people work. The greatest of all is going to serve the least of all. The almighty God creator of all is going to again serve them. That stuck out to me. And again, I know you are tired. This is the end. But these are things, again, that kingdom people do. They continue to serve others. They do. One thing that shouted, unbelievable. Unless you're staying connected with God, unless you're listening to God, you, you don't bear fruit. You just don't. And secondly, you keep serving. Now, I thought it was cool that Jesus cared about the physical needs. Because just like anything else, and I don't understand if you could put it in a normal scenario, people normally work, let's say, 9 to 5. They come home and they have supper, right? No matter what it is, they're hungry after a day's work. Whether it's labor or whether it's at a keyboard or whatever it is. Jesus knew this. I'm not going to make a whole lot of sense with anyone unless I feed these guys. And so he cares for them, he serves them, he, he feeds them because he's going to ask a question that's going to be critical. He doesn't want them to be distracted. He wants them to understand completely what he's going to say. These guys may not have understood it, but I think they did. I think they did. Let's look at John 21, verses 15, 16, and 17. And I know most times you've heard this passage, or most times you read this, you're going to be really hard on Peter. I'm not going to be hard on Peter here, just so you know. This is going to be an unbelievable example for us on how much care and understanding each of us need. How many times we need to be reminded of what is important. Because I just want you to know there's not one person in this room, I don't think, that had a relationship as close as Peter's. Say, oh, Rick, I've been saved for five years. Well, God bless you. All right. I'm just sensing Peter was still ahead of us, uh, you know, three years with the king. I, I just, as, hard, you know, as dopey as he looks at times, I, I still think he knew Jesus way better than we probably do. Okay, just the judgment. But let me, let me read verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Then Jesus, you know, without even taking a breath, repeated the question. Uh, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Or son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, 
You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter, one more thing Jesus says. Do you love me more than these fish? You haven't been gone very long at all, and you went back to a comfortable life, and you went back to the things that you normally do. I know you said you love me, but do you love me more than what you used to do? Because didn't our relationship change you, Peter? Didn't you see all that happened when I was with you, Peter? Don't you understand what I've called you to, Peter? Do you, do you love me more than that? Isn't it interesting he did not say, do you love the church? Do you love serving? But it really was all about that. He said, no. He made it personal. Do you love me more than all this? Yes. Then you would think Jesus was slow. Or Peter was slow. Because he got it apparently. Peter told him he got it. But we need this reminder over and over. And truthfully, (laughs) we do know. That Peter denied him three times. Maybe God again in his care and love and and equipping Peter. He just wanted to make sure. I understand. You denied me this. I want you to keep saying in front of me. I love you. I love you Jesus. I love you Jesus. Then in verses 18 and 19. And I'm not going to read it. but, But you can. He says one more thing Peter. I know you love me. I know you've answered this. I know I've reestablished our relationship here. You're going off in the wrong direction. We're we're back online. But he goes, I want you to know one thing. As you follow me, you're going to suffer a terrible, terrible, terrible death. All right? And I want to remind you that following me is not going to be easy. So we affirmed him. And then gave him a dose of reality in in verses 18 and 19. And the very last thing he said to Peter right there in that conversation was, follow me. Do you realize that was the first thing he also told Peter? Way back, almost three years ago. And do you realize that's one of the hardest things to do? There isn't anyone in this room that desires to be a follower. We all want to do our own thing. You may not want to be a great leader or have lots of people accountable to you, but I'll tell you one thing. You really like doing your own thing, like sitting over there on the, I'm just kidding, girls. I told you I would say something. All right. Like I will do, I will be uncomfortable rather than sit in a chair because I feel like it. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing. Okay. 
But as you look at this, we like to be our own bosses, right? We just do. Jesus is going to say over and over, I'm the king. I'm the creator. I am the most awesome leader in the world. I am the good shepherd. I will take care of you. Everything I tell you will lead to life. Do you understand that I am the guy that knows everything? I'm the way. I'm the life. I'm the truth. I'm the guy that gives you water that will quench your thirst. I'm the guy that will give you bread that will absolutely take care of all of your hunger. Do you understand that? Follow me, you big dopes. It's not in there. The big dopes. But it is follow me. Follow me. All right? I like to sometimes do that because, you know, when I'm a very refined pastor in my church, I can't talk to people like that. So don't tell anyone that I use that. But, but I, I do think, look at the grand message that Jesus was giving to these guys. I care so much about you. God deeply cares about you. I am going to go when you're tired, when you're discouraged. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to take care of your physical needs. All right? I'm going to take care of your spiritual needs. I'm going to keep you lined up. I'm going to keep reminding you of the most important message in the world, and that is follow me, follow me, follow me. I will never lead you astray. I will only lead you on right paths. Find out that abundant life is only found in a relationship with Jesus, period. Absolutely, period. In Philippians 3, so many didn't know that chapter. But it literally, the motto of Silver Birch Ranch, along with other organizations I've used this, comes from Philippians 3, where Paul literally says this, all of the accolades, all the things that people applauded. I was a great religious guy. I was absolutely born from the right tribe. I came from the right family. I had an unbelievably great gig going on until I met Jesus. And then he changed everything. And then everything I thought was important, he called garbage or manure. He says, you know what I want to know, do now? I want to know you, Jesus. That's it. So Jesus is saying, follow me. Jesus is saying, the only time you have an abundant life is in relationship with me. It's the only time that nets are going to be filled. Otherwise, you're going to be out night after night after night. And you might get one fish. <laughs> Wasn't that cool today, man? I got one fish. Great. One night. Two fishes! Oh, whoa, wait till my honey hears about this. Two fishes! And God says, hey, not a dope, but you fine individuals. Do you realize I want to give you 152 fish? Why are you so excited about one or two or 10 or 15? Why are you so excited even about a great one? 50. I got so much more for you. And that's something you can take to the bank. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. 
I thank you again just for an opportunity for me to remind these warriors, these heroes, these servants, these literal slaves of the king, that they have such great privilege. Father, help us not be distracted. May our physical weariness not distract from all the joy that is happening. We thank you for miracle after miracle after miracle. We pray even this day for the Bible hours that are being taught. We pray even for the message tonight, for all of the worship that's happening. We pray for all the interaction that our kids are going to have with our leaders and our staff. Father, would we grace them? Would those who serve food do it with such joy they know that Jesus lives? For those who are serving in the canteen, that they would hand candy bars out, God, like nobody else could hand candy bars out. For all those who are cleaning the toilets, Father, may they shine because your heart is in our hearts. Father, for all those who are weary and heavy laden, would we come to you? And would we put on your yoke? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.